0: How are you doing? My name's Stephen, and it's uh, my privilege to be taking us through the next part of our sermon series, We Are Emmanuel. This is our series that we've been doing since the beginning of the year, looking at who we are as a church, particularly as we've since, uh, since we've changed our name. And we looked at our vision, which is helping people find their way back to God. That's what we exist for as a church, and really as a family of churches, as we've launched out into Berlin and Ottawa and Amsterdam, as we plant churches in other places around the nation and the nation in the years to come as well and as well as looking at our vision we've also been looking at our core values that we're built upon so we looked at one of our core values that Jesus leads the church uh, then we looked at everything changes except the gospel and then the fact that we play as team and then we finally landed on our fourth and final value which is stay inspired And uh, Matt Carvel started it um, off for us. I did part one, and uh, he really looked at the fact that as a people we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're going to be inspired people. Then we need to have the inspiring God filling us and uh, helping us by giving us His wonderful power. And uh, my experience of this church, coming into it quite a few years ago now, is that hearing the teaching on the Holy Spirit in this church has been transformational to my Christian life. So i mean, filled with this Holy Spirit, the God who comes alongside. When we talk about Emmanuel, it means God with us. This God is not just with us in some kind of uh, philosophical way. No, he's here in a tangible and a real way. And that we can be baptised in the Spirit. means we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Matt did a great job of just unpacking that for us. And if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. The other, another thing that this church has really helped me to understand in my Christian walk, I've been mean Christian a few years before I came here, is that we get called to a great adventure with Jesus. And this particular value, Stay Inspired, has a tagline. It says, Jesus calls us to adventure. And uh, maybe you think, oh, Christianity, you know, maybe if you're looking in, maybe just checking out Christianity in church, thinking, well, Churches for boring people, leading boring lives, who are cutting off the exciting things in life to kind of be conservative, um, boring people. You know what? That's just not true. Christianity is about being on adventure. And this church is part of a family of churches that have planted literally hundreds and hundreds of churches. People have gone to far-flung places to take Jesus to people who don't know him who are taking on great projects to help the poor and the homeless and the needy and all kinds of different things. It's not a boring thing, but it's a great adventure to join. And so these two things, knowing the Holy Spirit and being on venture, actually go really hand in hand. If you read the book of Acts, every time the Spirit is poured out, it's poured out so that people then go on adventure, that people go on mission. We as our lives, we're not meant to be ornate vessels that God has poured his spirit into. He's not saved us and poured his spirit in and then puts us on God's mantelpiece somewhere. Now we're to be instruments in God's hands. He's poured his spirit and power in us so we can be instruments in his hands to create things, to rule with him, to build things, to go into battle with him. We're to be those that go on adventure. When we first started putting these core values together when we look at the language around them instead of the tagline Jesus calls us to adventure it actually started off, started off as we didn't give up sin for a boring life. We didn't give up sin for a boring life. You know, We didn't say hey Jesus I'm going to follow you because we want to live a life that's a bit dull and on the edge. No. We signed up because you're the love of my soul and you're calling me to something greater. The enemy there's an enemy who hates God and hates his people. And the enemy would love to stop us coming into new life with Jesus. He wants to stop people coming to know God. But even when they do, he doesn't stop his work then. He then comes against Christians and wants them to live boring lives. He wants us to be powerless. He wants us to be distracted or jaded. He wants us to get over busy or get ensnared by other things. So we can't live the life that God has got for us. God has got great purposes for you. He came and died upon a cross so we could be free from sin, free from the things that entangle us so we can run hard after him. What vision do you have for your life? Do you ever think about the big questions in life? Thinking, what does my life really mean? Where's my life going? What should I do with it? Well, let me tell you, whatever your vision for your life right now, God has got a bigger one. Maybe you're looking ahead in your life thinking, I want to be a fruitful person. I want to do things in my life. I want to achieve some things. Whatever fruit you think you've got, you know, God's got more. He's got more than you could ask and more than you could ever imagine. I want you to get excited about your purpose in God and our purpose as a church together in God. That we might achieve great things with him and for him. Let me pray and we'll get into it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you ever saved me, that you ever brought me to this church and taught me some of these truths. And I pray, would you breathe faith and courage and boldness into us, that we might be a people full of purpose, full of adventure, that we might look back in years to come and thinking, wow, God, thank you that I got to be your workmate, that I used to get to co-labour in the things that you were doing on the earth. So I pray, come and speak to us, each and every one of us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're talking about staying inspired, having an inspired life. So what does that look like? Well, I'm going to suggest four characteristics. There's lots of others, but just four that we're going to look at today. The first one is, an inspired life is a courageous life. (coughs) The writer of the book of Hebrews, well, he encourages us to observe the lives of believers who have gone before. There's a very famous chapter, chapter 11, that lists a whole bunch of people who've trusted God, had encounters with God. God Emmanuel with them and uh, did amazing things with them. And uh, he's calling attention to their lives, saying, look, God has worked in their life. That's, that's God's normal way. Then he says in chapter 13, this in verse 7, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. As Christians, we're of course taught to, uh, in God's word to look for, first and foremost to Jesus' life. That's who we want to imitate the most. He was a human like you and me. His body had frailties like you and I do, but he was without sin. He's our perfect example. But the word time and time again also calls us to look at the lives of other believers as well. Those who have trusted God. The fact that Emmanuel, God was with, with them. People right through the generations involved in their lives and calling them to audacious acts in his name. We are to observe their lives, learn from them as well. As I've been in this church, I've uh, enjoyed sitting under some great preaching and teaching. And it's moulded and shaped my life. But I think it's fair to say that what has moulded and shaped it more is seeing that teaching lived out in the lives of the men and women in this church. Mothers and fathers in the Lord, in this church, who have looked at their lives and think, wow, you don't just believe that, but you believe it wholeheartedly. And with all your actions and your words and your lives. That's true of the people I've got to know in this church. That's true of people I've read about as well. And as I've looked at their lives, I've realised they weren't always the cleverest. They weren't always the most skillful, and the best at what they were doing. They were definitely far from perfect. But what they were, they were courageous people. People who say, I'm going to sign up for this Jesus. I'm all in for you bold and courageous, utterly convinced about who God is and that he is with them and for them. If you're looking for inspired life, look to other courageous men and women to also inspire you. The Apostle Paul writes this to his friend Timothy in the Bible. 1 Timothy 6 verse 7 says this, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power. And love and self control. Is your Christian life, if you're a Christian here this evening, full of a spirit of power and love? Or are you more naturally fearful or timid? Maybe we wouldn't necessarily say fearful or timid, but maybe you just want a quiet life, a comfortable life. You're not necessarily keen to move out of your comfort zone, roll up your sleeves, and put yourself out there. All of us can be like this at times. I remember being at university. And just thinking the, wo- the workload was heavy and working late into the night, this and the other. I'm thinking, when I finish university, I'm just going to get a quiet nine to five somewhere. Just do my job and then have my life back to myself. And there's other times in my life where it's just, like, just got on top of me. Thought, I just want a quiet life. I just want it to be comfortable. You know what? That's not what we're called cool to. We're called cool to an audacious life. That's costly and hard and takes courage and boldness. That's what Jesus is calling us to. But he's not just calling us to and just telling us to get on with it. No, he's planted a seed of that deep inside of us. Paul says to Timothy, when I laid my hands on you, when I anointed you as a a fellow believer, the Holy Spirit will put a flame within you. A flame of power, of love and of self-control. If you're a Christian here, you have that same thing within you. You have this flame. And for some of us, it's roaring. You're like, yeah, I know. I'm ready to go. Let's go. Some of us, it's like, I don't even know if it's there anymore. It's just like a little pilot light on a boiler. If you look at your boiler at home, it's just a little pilot light when the heating and the hot water's not actually going on. Uh, but it's just a little pilot light. Well, We're told to crank up the gas, and get it going, pour on the lighter fluid, fan it into flame. Be courageous and audacious for Jesus. One of the things that marks us out from the other creatures on the earth is that we have minds that can imagine things and creativity. God's calling us to be those who have a godly imagination. We're to be ambitious, with dream about what we could be. We're not to be content with the status quo, not numb to the reality of the world around us, but attuned to the need of a dark world that needs the light of the gospel. People are full of compassion for those who are hurting, people who are angered by injustice, and people are full of hope for those who are hopeless, who want to hold out the amazing promise of the gospel to others, to help others find their way back. To God. But how do we break out the, out of the humdrum of life? He gets so busy. It gets a bit frantic. Well, we must fan this flame that's already within us. We must give some time to daydreaming. Do you ever daydream? I do sometimes. Sometimes sit at my desk thinking about work and ride on my motorcycle or where my next holiday's coming from, this, that, and the other. I'm not talking about that kind of daydreaming. I'm it a godly daydreaming. Thinking, what God could you do with my life if I gave it all over to you? I say, God, stir me, break me out of my comfort zone. Because when a dream takes hold of your heart, it can lead to great courageous acts. Let me read you an example of one of my favourite Bible stories. This is of Jonathan and his armour bearer. This is the time of King David. And uh, when King David is coming to the throne. And uh, right at this point, he's not quite there yet. And Jonathan and uh, King Saul and the Israelite uh, God's people are fighting against the Philistines. And uh, the two camps are currently kind of separated out for a bit. But Jonathan, well, he's obviously done a bit of daydreaming, maybe. He thought, oh, maybe I could do something for God. Maybe I could go and win a battle. So he off he goes and he takes his armour, the guy who carries his armour with him. And it says this. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armour, come, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. I love this bit of language. It's so subtle, but it may be. That God will, the Lord will work for us? Maybe. It might do. Perhaps perhaps not. But nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Jonathan gets it. He knows that God is big. God doesn't need anyone. He doesn't need a big army. He doesn't need a small army. God can win victories without us. But Jonathan knows, if that's my God, then hey, let's go for it. If it's just two of us, we can take them on. So it may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Ah, oh, do all that's in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. So his armor is like, cool, I'm up for it as well. So then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we are show ourselves to them. I love to imagine. How exactly are Jonathan and his armor bearer showing them? Are they like, goey? And just kind of like, hey, here we are. I don't know. So they show themselves to him. And uh, if they say, wait until we come down to you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has given them into our hands. And this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison held Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we'll show you a thing. They're like, bring it on. And Jonathan is our a little glint in the eye, like, that's the sign. Let's go for it. There's something courageous for us to do this day. Let me encourage you. Go and read the rest of the story. You can find out what happens. But it's safe to say it goes well. I love Jonathan's approach. He knows that God is a powerful God. That he can trust him and therefore he can go and do courageous things. As I was preparing for this, I was reading about a, a Christian from 1865, a guy called John Patton, who wanted to go and tell people about Jesus in an island called Vanuatu in the South Pacific. People who never heard about Jesus, people are people who are uh, very uh, hostile to outsiders. And uh, a, a man came up to him and cautioned him against going, don't, don't go there, you might get eaten by those cannibals. And he just said to them, well... I can stay on English soil and eventually I'll die and get eaten by worms. Or I can go there and tell them about Jesus and get eaten by them. I know what I prefer. I want to live for Jesus. His answer is bold. He says, so what? And, you know, maybe it'll go well, maybe it won't. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm living all out for God. I want to be brave. I want to be courageous. I met with a couple this week. Uh, in this church who are thinking of going church planting. In fact, we're pretty sure they're going to go church planting. We're just setting kind of a a schedule and timeline for their training and for when we're going to send them to. We'll tell you more about it probably in months to come. And I was just meeting with them. And they're just being really real with me about just the internal struggles and internal battles. They're starting to tell people and suddenly thinking, oh no, have we really heard from God? Is this really what we should be doing? What happens if we get there and it goes wrong? What if it fails, Stephen? And uh, I think there are kind of looking to me for some kind of nice pastor to respond. I was like, maybe it will. (laughs) I was like, yeah, what's the worst that could happen here? You look like fools and you come back. Who cares? Go and do something courageous for Jesus. Don't live a boring life. Don't stay here thinking, oh no, maybe it won't. Who cares? Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Maybe you'll totally crash and burn. Well, then you'll learn some lessons for the rest of us and we can send you again. Don't hold back because of fear that's not the spirit that God has put in you we have to have a spirit of power and of love for others that drives us what about you? maybe it's church planting maybe it's just your day to day life I found myself in situations where people I could see an opening for the conversation about Jesus and I suddenly feel that spirit of timidity suddenly rise up and I those to say God no I'm not going to be a timid man God give me a boldness to speak your truth to show your love to these people what's the worst that can happen? I'm a bit of a mumbler. My words don't always come out in the right order. I think, oh, that's a good reason not to say it. No, it's not. Who cares? I get it wrong. I mumble it out. Can Jesus use my, my weak words? Yes, he can. Can he use my best words? Yes, he can. Can he use no words? Yes, he can. Let's be bold. Let's be courageous. Don't disqualify yourself. It's not actually about you. Jonathan is our brother. They're just people like me and you. The heroes of the faith down through the years. They're just like you and me. Let me encourage you, take some time to read about great heroes of the faith. Do it in the pages of your Bible, get some Christian biographies, learn from courageous men and women. Let's look at our second characteristic, purposeful. An inspired life is a life that has purpose. The best thing you can give your life to uh, is the purpose that you're made for, to glorify God and enjoy Him. If you're not a believer here, let me tell you the purpose you are made for, the reason you are here on the earth is to glorify God and enjoy him. There's nothing more satisfying in life. Many people have been inspired at one time or another, but simply having an inspired moment, a thought or a feeling is not the same as having an inspired life or an inspiring life. For inspiration to turn into something good, to turn into something fruitful, it must be linked with action. This core value is stay inspired. It's deliberately not get inspired. Anyone can get inspired. It's something else to stay inspired, to grab hold of it, stay committed to a vision that God gives us. Because inspiration, it fades. We're into March. And lots of people a few months ago had inspiration at the beginning of the year, thinking, this is the year that I will lose weight And I shall run 10 marathons and I will read 100 books and learn several languages. That inspiration, let me tell you, has waned for lots of those people. They are no longer running anywhere or reading anything or speaking any other language. They're just getting through life. The inspiration has simply fallen away. We mustn't be like that with the inspiration that God gives us. We must grab hold of it. We must fan it into the flame. The apostle Paul writes about this in several ways, but one way in which he writes about it is comparing our lives, our Christian lives, to running a race. He says this in 1 Corinthians 9:24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. We're to be those that run with purpose and focus. Not becoming distracted, not thinking oh, it'll be nice to run a race. No, get in the race. And run it well. A few years ago, you know, we had the little hashtag kind of fads, and there was, a hashtag, was hashtag #YOLO, hashtag #YOLO. You only live once, and people just put it on the bottom of various memes and other things just to kind of make the point that, hey, I'm doing something crazy. Hey, just, you only live once. And I look at things. Hey, you only live once. You only get one shot at this, and this is what you're doing with your life. Take your life more seriously than this. The great thing about the gospel is there's nothing we can do to gain God's love. Jesus has done everything we need for that. He's given it to us. We don't need to do anything now. We don't need to spend any energy whatsoever pursuing our salvation, our forgiveness of sin, God's love. He's already given that as a gift, which means we now have all the energy and all, and all the zeal and everything we have for ourselves just to follow after him and go on a venture with him. We've got one life. Let's use it and let's use it well. Let me illustrate this. I've got two people I want to talk about from the Winter Olympics. Now, last time I preached here, I gave you lots of illustrations of the Winter Olympics. I promise you, it's just two right now. And one of them is Joc- Jocelyn Laroque, and the other one is Liz Swaney. And Jocelyn Laroque is a Canadian ice hockey player. And uh, Canada won the women's ice hockey back in 2014. They got the gold medal. And at this year's Olympics, uh, they were there defending their gold medal against their bitter rivals in the final, the U.S.A. And they fought it out, and it came right down to the wire, and the U.S.A. won. And Justin, who's on the Canadian team, she won, she won the silver medal. And they came and they placed the silver medal on her, and literally, as soon as it landed on her chest, she took it off again. And was like, no, I do not want this medal. I want the gold one. She didn't say it, but it was written all over her face. And it was all splashed across the papers the next day. Like, this woman has not honoured the Olympics. I'm thinking, give her a break. She works hard. She's played hard. She's focused, not for the silver medal, for the gold medal. She was sure of what she wanted, but she'd lost it. She didn't want the silver medal. She knows that silver, you haven't won silver medal. You've just come first loser, first runner-up. That's not gold. It's true. First loser. Just to be clear, I'd be happy with a silver medal. (laughs) I'd be to win anything, literally. But not for her, and I just respect that in her. She released a statement saying, I'm really sorry to have blah, blah, blah the Olympics. I'm really appreciative. I'm like, she doesn't think that. She wants the gold. Compare her with Liz Swainey. And Liz Sweeney was the woman who competed in the skiing half-pipe. And Liz Sweeney had uh, worked out how to work the loopholes in the Olympic kind of uh, qualifiers. And she basically found out, as long as you don't fall over or mess up any of your, your tricks, you'll get enough points to make it through each round. So all she did, where everyone else was going down doing flips and spins and various acrobatics down the half-pipe, she would literally start at the top and she just go down. wee, wee, nothing. It's up the top, down again. And it was just the most bizarre thing to watch. And the most bizarre commentary is they're like, up and down. <laughs> up and down. And you're thinking it was the most unnatural thing. Like all these Olympians who've turned up, you know, adrenaline pumping, ready to go, friend. She is just literally out for a nice kind of little ski. Like, this is wonderful. Thanks so much. And she didn't even come bottom of the table because other people who tried hard and stacked it. And they got less points than she did. But she managed to do it. That's not what the spirit of the Olympics is about. You're thinking, what are you doing? Why are you even there? Competing is not enough. It's unnatural. If you are settling for a mediocre life, Christian life, without adventure, without courage, without purpose, you are like Liz Swainey. You're just out for an afternoon's stroll. We're called to be like a in the rocks. We're to go all out for Jesus. He gave up everything for you. You owe him nothing in one sense. He's given it to you freely. But he's calling you to follow him, knowing it's the best thing that you can do with your life. You are made for a purpose. And you can live your life like this way. You can just poodle through life if you want to. And sure, you'll get into heaven. But the Bible says, you'll get, you'll get there as one through the flames. Everything you did in your life was burnt up because it's of no worth. Jesus encourages us instead, hey, why don't you store up some more trophies? Ultimately, we've already been given the gold medal. We're in. The biggest prize, our salvation, our forgiveness for our sins. That's already been given to us. But we now have the opportunity to get a whole trophy cabinet. Helping other people find their way back to Jesus. Going to do great and bold things for him. Living for Jesus shouldn't just be something we do in our spare time, something that we fit into our life around other activities. No, we build our lives on Jesus. We structure our lives around him and his church. We make our major decisions based on whether this helps me run the race and win the prize. There are a couple of things that can help us with this. In my early years of marriage, me and my wife just looked at a couple of books that mentioned Pilgrim Mentality. The fact that as Christian winter, to have this mentality where we're going through life. It's just, we're on a journey through. That ultimately, although we're British, they might say British in our passports, actually our citizenship is elsewhere. It's in heaven. And then we're treated like that. Everything else here is temporary. We mustn't get distracted by the things in life. Either a particular family setup or a particular uh, education goal or an occupational goal or a particular finance or any other goals in life. No, Jesus is to be our only goal. We want to engage with the world around us. Why? Because we want to help them know Jesus. There's other things that it's okay to pursue. They're good things. They're from God. But they're not the ultimate things. God is. And that's even how the writer of the Hebrews talks about those famous heroes of the faith. He says they were just exiles and strangers in this world. They were made for a heavenly city. I recently went through Gatwick Airport. And you go through security, you get out of the side, and there's a whole walkway you've got to do through all the perfumes and the sunglasses and the gadgets. They're going, hey, come and look at this. And you can stop and you can buy that stuff. But I didn't book my airline ticket to go and visit those shops. No, I booked that airline ticket to go and see some of my friends, to go and see the mountains on this particular time. That's why I booked the ticket. There's a destination. I don't want to get distracted by these things along the way. Don't be distracted. These things in life, they're rubbish in comparison to the prize that God has for us. Another thing Jesus talks to us about is so the fact that uh, there are hardships along the way. Jesus gives us many wonderful promises that we love to grab hold of. This is one that we don't always grab hold of that well. He says, in this life, you'll have trouble. I promise you. So, No one puts that on a fridge magnet, do they? Oh, thank you, Jesus. But it's true. It's helpful for us to know, yes, in this life, It is troublesome. There's sin in this world and it's hard. And following Jesus at times is hard. And it can be easy to become discouraged or uh, disappointed. Terry Virgo, I heard him say a few times actually, is that we're to resist sin but also to resist disappointment. Disappointment can come in at times disappointed in ourselves, disappointed in other people, disappointed about how our life is going. And sometimes that can grip us and paralyze us from doing the things that God has called us to do. We must resist it. We must throw it off and come back to God and say, God, no, I want to live for you. Where I've been hurt, come and heal me. Where I've got unforgiveness towards someone else, help me forgive and love again. We're also called to throw off what entangles us. And so the Bible talks about sin that does that. The things that we do wrong, habitually particularly, that threaten to bind us up, trip us over and slow us down. There's times in my life where sin issues have got in the way, particular attitudes or behaviours that have threatened to trip me up. And I've had to work out a brother and please help me, because right now I'm hindered from being all that God wants me to be. Another thing is that the devil, God's enemy, is your enemy. And he's prowling around like a lion, seeing who he can devour. Sometimes that can be in dramatic ways. But mostly, it's in subtle ways that you wouldn't necessarily notice unless you're looking out for. He's looking to distract us, fill our lives up with all kinds of other busyness, all kinds of unforgiveness and bitterness, so we will plateau and slow down to a walk. We must resist sin. We must resist disappointment. We must resist the evil one. How do we stay inspired? Well, we stay connected to the inspiring one. We stay connected to Jesus. John 15 says that he is the vine and we're the branch. And we're to have this vital connection with him. God's not saying, now go and be fruitful and do great things for me. He's saying, no, join yourself to me and together we'll do great things. And you join yourself to me, you will be fruitful. You will be fruitful and you will bear fruit that will last. Sometimes it'll be obvious and in this life, sometimes you won't see that fruit until eternity. If you're not currently running this race, you should. Is there some disillusionment that's coming to your life? Is there some sin hindering you? Let me encourage you today. Come back and confess it to Jesus. Ask him for forgiveness and get ready to go again. Let's look at characteristic number three. Costly. Obviously running a race is and competing is itself costly and I've used lots of that language already. But the reality is that nothing of any real worth was ever built or accomplished without some kind of cost. The best things in life aren't actually free. They might not cost money, but they always take sacrifice. But when we're inspired by either love or a cause or some kind of injustice that stirs us, we don't mind paying the cost for it. We're saying, this is a good exchange. I don't mind being put out because of this thing that I see before me. In many places in the world and at other times in history, choosing to follow Jesus is very obviously costly. To identify as a Christian has meant losing kind of earnings. Loss of community, loss of family, being kicked out of your own family. Losing status and at times even your life. But men and women have happily and with great joy decided to follow Jesus, even at the great cost to themselves. Know that heaven's economy, heaven's ways is quite different to the world's. Maybe you're looking into Christianity thinking, I'm not sure I want this Christianity. Sounds a bit too costly and crazy. Yeah, it is. But the Bible says that as you give your life to Jesus, he just gives it back in greater measure. As well as people coming Christians at great cost, people have done great things in Jesus' name at great cost. One of my favorite heroes is a guy called Jim Elliott. And uh, he went to some people in South America to tell them about Jesus. And uh, he died at the age of 28. the people that he was trying to reach. He was well aware this was going to be a possibility, and he wrote these words in his journal. And this is my favourite quote outside the Bible. It says this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. And this quote has helped me time and time again, where I've had to make sacrifices in my life. I keep thinking, you know what, this sacrifice is nothing giving out money or particular aspirations or other thing for the sake of Jesus, it's worth it. Because I can't keep it in the long run anyway. I'm only getting, I might have it for a few decades, but I get Jesus for eternity. I get to store up treasure for myself in the life to come. And there is no price high enough in comparison with what Jesus has given us. <clears throat> the Bible talks about striving, taking up your cross, working and fighting the good fight, hardship and pressing on. But the fact that following Jesus Although it's costly, it's also more beneficial than you can possibly imagine. Jesus addresses this with his disciple Peter. says this in Mark 10. Peter began to say to him, to Jesus, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and also in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Jesus promised us as we follow him, as we take up our crosses, he'll provide for us in this life and the next. This church is full of people who take this seriously. I won't say that. This, isn't, uh, this is not novel or new to this church. The reason it's a core value is because we're already living it. If you're spending time around our staff members, some people are like, oh, it's okay for staff members. They can be bold and courageous for Jesus. They get paid for it. Let me tell you, people on staff here at this church have given up great things to be on staff. Often giving up particular careers. Careers that are paying them a lot more than they get paid now. And giving up various opportunities. Why? Because God has called them to something else. Said, "You know I'm going to give myself for this. There's other people who are in this church, people who are our elders, who also have other jobs as well, as well as being elders, who give up just amazing amounts of time and energy to shepherd this church and govern it. There's interns, interns who have given up a year or a portion of their life to come and serve the church. Saying, oh, I'm going to take a break from education, break from work. I say, I'm going to give myself to this. Yeah, it's costly. I'm going to put my life's priorities in hold. Why? Because I want to see Jesus will come on the earth. Maybe that's a next step for you at some point. Maybe you're coming out to a break in your education or your career. Or maybe you can just force a break. Say, like, you know what? I want to do this. I want to give my life for something. Other people have chosen to stay in Brighton, even though it's costly. People said, I'm going to live in Brighton, even though it means a longer commute. Even though it means I'm going to have a pokey basement flat. Even though it means I'm going to pay a little bit less than I could elsewhere. Because they want to build the church. They want to build this local church. Others have done the opposite. They've known God's inspiring call to go instead. They've gone to other nations and learned other languages, uprooted their family and taken them on an adventure. This church is full of people who have collectively given millions and millions of pounds, thousands upon thousands of volunteer hours, sacrificing their priorities for God's. This is a core value because we are living it. And you know what? Jesus sees it all. Every cost. And he applauds it. It causes him great joy. Our fourth and final characteristic is prayerful. An inspiring life is a prayerful life. As Christians, we do our best work in the place of prayer. There's so much we could say about this, but just to say an inspired life is about being connected with God in prayer. We can worship God and see him by saying, God, you're greater than it all. I often hear people singing amazing truths in songs And then I listen to their prayer life I think the things don't match up. They say you're greater than it all, but then their prayers are feeble. They're not inspiring at all. They're like, oh God, could you just bless me for a good week this week? I hope I'm a bit happy. Amen. And you're like, what are you praying? If God is greater than it all, if he loves you and he wants you good, hey, you can pray some big prayers. When you pray big prayers, God gets worship. When you say, God, give me this massive thing, God's like, great, I'd love to because I'm massive. And I'm almighty and I love you and I'm for you. Do you pray big prayers? Do they show that you're inspired by who God is and his love for you? If you want a quick guide to what Jesus says about prayer, read John 14, 15 and 16. And you'll find that Jesus says six times, ask and I will give it to you. Here it says in John 14, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. God's saying, what is it? When you're daydreaming, what's the things that you want? Start praying. Start asking me for it. Now, there is some nuance to that. It's not like, okay, great. I've got a shopping list. These are the different things I'd really like. i really like a new pair of Bluetooth headphones. And no, no. Jesus isn't your personal vending machine. but He's inviting you to go on an adventure in prayer with him. And so Paul Minner, in his book, A Praying Life, if you've not read it, do. If you've read it, read it again. It's a great book on prayer. And he says, our journey of prayer is like along a pathway, but there's a danger of falling off either side of it. Sometimes we can fall off by coming selfishly, coming with our tick list of things that we want. And we're not to be selfish. No, we're to pray in Jesus' name. Things that we know that Jesus loves and wants as well. Praying according to his will. That's how Jesus prayed. He said, not my will, but yours be done. Knowing that what God wills is better than what I want. Actually, if God gave me what I wanted, it wouldn't be good for me in reality. We don't, we don't want to pray selfishly. But the other danger I think is more of a danger for us. The other side is just not asking. The book of James says, you don't have because you don't ask. I don't want to get to the end of my life and Jesus said, you could have had so much more. You just didn't ask. Let's be those that ask. I've been teaching my son, uh, one of my sons this week, about having good manners. And uh, they're fairly self-assured, and they'll quite happily ask anyone for anything. And I've been teaching them that's not always appropriate. I say it's like a bit of an Oliver Twist kind of syndrome. They say, can, please, sir, can I have some more on everything all the time. And I said, you know what? Feel free to ask for things. But sometimes you're putting other people in, in kind of awkward positions. You're asking for them things, and they feel like because you're a kid, they've got to give it to you. That's just not good manners. But i also got to teach him, but you can't do that with God. You can never be too cheeky. You can never ask for too much. God says, ask me. I want to give you stuff. I want to go on this inspiring journey with you. Jesus talks about two parables. The persistent widow who goes to the judge and seeks him for justice. and She says, give me justice. 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 Give. He keeps asking and finally the judge says, okay, you can have it. We can be persistent with God on things. Say, God, I want to see this happen. I want to see this person saved. I want to see this breakthrough in my life, in my relationships. I want to see this finance come in for your kingdom and for your sake. He also talks about the friend, uh, the neighbour at midnight, who goes to his neighbour and wants three loaves of bread. Just knocks. Can I have some bread? And the guy's like, are you kidding me? It's the middle of the night. He's like, yeah, I want some bread. And Jesus says, he doesn't give it because he likes the mate. No, he gives it because the guy was so cheeky and audacious. Let's be cheeky and audacious with our asks. What is it that you want to see? When you're daydreaming about what God could do with your life or in the, within the church, what are you asking for? I've been, it's been wonderful just to hear some answers to prayer recently. I heard at uh, uh, the New England site about a guy who went for an operation to remove kidney stones and to check out cancer and uh, opened them up and had to sew them back up again because after praying, there was no kidney stones, there was no cancer. I had a friend of mine at the race school site who uh, has been praying for her sister for 10 years. Give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. Praying that she would get saved. And uh, she got saved at the race school site recently. And is getting established and knitted in, finding Jesus for herself. Other people who have recently just received great finance that they can use now for the sake of God's kingdom. We've got a wonderful uh, story of God giving us buildings as a church. Buildings in Brighton, buildings in Berlin, buildings in Ottawa and Amsterdam. We want some more of them. I want one down the marina. Pray for us. Are you talking to God about impossible things? Don't pray for... Well, you can if you want. You can pray for things that you can make happen by yourself. But I want to pray for things that I can't make happen. That can only happen if God intervenes. This has so sharpened me preparing this message. Just my right, what is it I'm praying for? God, let me see some breakthrough this year. I once went for a walk in Stammer Woods and I was just talking to God about the fact that the race course site wasn't growing in attendance. I was like, God, please let us get through the 175 barrier. Please let us get through the 175 barrier. And I just felt like God just stopped me. I was like, are you kidding me? You only want 175. And I was just like, oh. God was like, do you know how many people need Jesus? If you're only asking for 175, at least put a zero on the end. And I was just like... God, you're so right. We're so small-minded sometimes. God, help me believe you for more. Kind of final points for you. As a church, we want to plant churches in other places. Maybe as I've been speaking, or maybe at other points in your life, God's placed somewhere, a city or a people group on your heart. Why are you begin to fan that into flame? I think maybe I could lead a church plant and join a church plant elsewhere and then come and share it with us because we want to plant churches, people. There's lots of other ways I could outline this inspiring might work out, but let me encourage you, go and talk to someone, maybe after the service, maybe in your small group this week, and say, this is something that like God's inspiring me about. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit that comes and lives in our life, that excites us for things that are exciting in your heart. Lord, I pray, help us to be those that give our lives full for you. We wouldn't hold anything back, Lord. No, and that's the best thing we could possibly do. That's the satisfying place. That's the exciting place. That's the place of joy. And I pray for those who currently are dismayed or disillusioned or even fearful. Lord, God, us pray, come and help them. Draw them into things that you're doing. Give them energy for things that are on your heart, we pray. Let us see great breakthrough this year, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.